Joshua is going to be amazing today as we continue forward in this book. What we're going to realize is the fact that um, last week, now we were in Joshua chapter 11, verses 21 through 23. And in those verses, as we were working through that, we were reading that message, it's called Giants Falling. And what we saw was the fact that as the Israelites were conquering the inhabitants of Canaan, they were at the same time simultaneously dealing with the population of those that were called the sons of Anak. Now, these were the uh, Anakite or the Anakims. These were, these were the giants. Uh, this was a generation of people that had actually done what their parents could not do. Their parents were too afraid of these giants, and they had literally run away in fear 40 years earlier. So now what we see is this generation has actually come to a place of faithfulness. They're trusting the Lord. Uh, they're, they're making progress. They're accomplishing what God intended for them in the first place. And they conquered. We saw that last week they feared. The uh, first thing was their fears were conquered. And we discussed the remarkable discrepancy between their story and the story of uh, the parent's story between the parent's story and the children's story. So the parents were paralyzed with fear. They were overwhelmed by what they saw, and this adversity that they faced caused them to rebel against God. Now, the result of that was destruction. The other group, well, they had a completely different attitude. They had a, a, a willingness to trust God. They boldly faced the adversity that had come against them, and what we saw was they overcame their fear. And what their parents' greatest fear, which was the destruction that they were going to face at the giants, they literally faced that fear and overwhelmed it and overcame it. And they conquered exactly what God had told them they would do, which was conquer everything, everyone in Canaan. So without losing a single person, they had victory. So even though they had conquered much of the promised land, what we also saw last week was the fact that there was still work yet to be done. What we saw is the fact that there were still uh, what we call um, factions that existed. Though they defeated a large portion of the population, there were still individuals that needed to be dealt with, these that were entrenched. And so what we saw was the fact that as these guys looked at what was coming, their, their goal and what God intended for the Israelites was for them to take this land, this promised land, and to make it holy. They were to concentrate their efforts on sanctifying it for the glory of God. And we talked about the fact that, listen, that's, that's our responsibility. As you and I have a spiritual promise, and what that responsibility for us, we're supposed to concentrate our efforts on making certain that, that it's holy. And so we look at the, the issue of rebellion that existed in their, in their parents, that they overcame. So many times we struggle with rebellion in our own hearts. And we're supposed to deal with these areas in our hearts, these areas in our lives that are not pleasing with the Lord. Consecrating our efforts and concentrating our efforts for the, God, for the glory of God to deal with these issues. Then we notice the fact that they became stewards of God. They became stewards of God. What happens now, God's entrusting the promised land. He's giving it to them. He's saying, hey, listen, you know what? Now it's going to be your individual responsibility to handle this. Before, I've been going with you and we've been fighting this as a giant army. Now the army is going to be dispersed. And now as individuals, you're going to have to address it yourselves. They're going to deal with and care for this land that God had provided for them. Again, making it holy. Understanding the fact that they, uh, the land wasn't theirs. It was in fact God's. And what we've got to realize is we're not our own, right? The Bible says we're bought with a price. And that price was the blood of Christ, the death he gave his life for us. So having paid the price that you and I should have paid, he has bought our, our lives. He's bought us and he's saying, hey, listen, you know what? Now that you realize that, hey, you're not your own, what I need you to do is focus your energy and your efforts on making sure that that life that I've given you is to be lived for my glory. The whole thing is it's supposed to be about me and not about, and not about you. And as we closed out chapter 11, we saw that God closed it with this phrase, and the land rested from war. 
And here we discuss the fact that the Israelites, what did they experience? They experienced the blessings of God. They experienced God's peace prevailing. As the war-torn land that had been so filled with strife now starts to become uh, uh, more, more peaceful. And this massive army is now dispersing. And then the individual responsibility to care for the land is going to become individually placed upon the tribes. And the tribes are then going to deal with their individual um, responsibilities. Their job is to root out evil. Again, the very same thing that you and I are supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be bringing peace, right? There's evil in the world. There's, there's unrest in the world all around us. And our goal is to bring the peace of God into these situations. We do this through living a life for Christ. We do this through sharing the Word of God. We, live it, do, it, we, share it, we do it by living the Word of God. And so God wants to use us to bring peace, not only to the world, but to our community. But then if you make it personal, it's also to bring peace into our own hearts. Because many of us live with turmoil in our hearts every single day. We struggle with issues that are constantly rolling and boiling inside of us. And God's saying, hey, listen, that's not what I intend for you. I gave you this life for my glory. This life is supposed to be a place where you walk in peace with me. It's supposed to be a place where you experience my love, where you experience the comfort of my presence. That's what the promised land is spiritually. It is a, it is a life where we walk with God in a place of fellowship with Him, a place of peace with Him. And what we're going to do today is we're going to realize the fact that as we go through Joshua 12, what it's going to do is it's going to actually take us back in time a little bit. What we're going to see is the fact that Moses, prior to them entering into the promised land, Moses actually was the one that brought them to that point. And what we're going to be doing today is looking at how God uses this time frame before they entered into the promised land, where they're being led by Moses, to prepare them for what they would face in the promised land. So today, we're going to be going, as I said, back in time. The Israelites, led by Moses, are going to, first of all, faith, their faith was tested. We'll see that they stood their ground when they were opposed. We'll see that they remained courageous when they were outmatched and that they still struggled to trust God. The message this morning is titled, The Value of Trials. And what I need you to do with me today is try to, try to pay attention the best you can because as I'm going to read you these verses, you're going to go, I don't see that. Okay? And you will see it when we're done, but what we need to understand is this is going to require what's called Bible study, okay? Because if you read what's just here, you're going to go, I don't really know a whole lot of what's going on. But if we take the time to dig into the Word of God, God will reveal to us what it is He wants us to see. So let's read, uh, let's pray, and then we'll jump right into these verses. Thank you, Lord, for today. Lord, I do pray, Father. I can feel already my stumbling tongue is getting in the way. Um, Lord, I am, I am a, a faulted person, and Lord, I am just... I want to do my very best just to get out of the way. Uh, Lord, would you please calm my nerves, my sense of uh, inability, um, Lord, um, inadequacy. I pray, Father, that you just remove the human element from the message, uh, Father, that you would take it, and that, Lord, you would use it for your glory. Would you guide everything that's said and done? Would you use this all, Lord, for your name to be lifted high and for your people to be challenged to be more? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Joshua 12, verses 1 through 6. Deep breath, here we go. All right, number one. Now these are the kings of the land which the children of Israel smote and possessed their land on the other side Jordan toward the rising of the sun, from the river Arnon unto Mount Hermon and all the plains of the east. Sahon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon and ruled over Eror, which is upon the bank of the river Arnon and from the middle of the river and from uh, half of Gilead, even unto the river Yabak which is the border of the children of Ammon, and from the plain to the sea of Chinneroth to the east, and unto the sea of the plain, even the salt sea on the east, the way to Beth 
Jamash, we're going to say that, Jamath. And from the south under uh, Ashdoth Pisgah. And the coast of Og, king of Bashan, which was of the remnant of the giants, that dwelt at Ashtaroth and at Edri, and reigned in Mount Hermon and Salka and in Balshan unto the border of the Geshurites and the Machathites and half, Gil- and half Gilead, the border of Sahon, king of Heshbon. Them did Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the children of Israel smite. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave it for a possession unto the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh. Okay, so it's important to understand that at this point, um, uh, this passage is, again, referencing what has taken place. This is the preparation of them moving into the promised land. So 40 years earlier, after that generation had passed away, that rebellious generation of Israelites, now what's happened is Moses has brought the surviving Israelites back to the promised land. They are now back at a border where they were, where they're supposed to go, to the Jordan River. And upon their return, they're going to face opposition. There are going to be those that are going to be waiting on them. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to compare and understand that the opposition at the border was to prepare them for the battles that they're going to take place, or that they're going to face when they enter into the promised land. The promised land is loaded with all types of adversity. And what we're going to realize is the fact that God is prepping them or preparing them, strengthening their faith for what it is they're going to need to be able to stand on when they get there. So the victories that we've just heard about took place in the wilderness. Okay, Notice it says it's east it's east of the Jordan. So these are intended, again, to wet their feet in battling evil and facing things in the promised land. Verse number one tells us that they, says, uh, we said that it's, their faith was tested. Now, you're not going to see this necessarily in this verse, but I'm going to show it to you. It says, now these are the kings of the land which the children of Israel smote and possessed their land on the other side Jordan toward the rising of the sun from the river Arnon under Mount Hermon and all the plain on the east. Now, that sounds like it was a walk in the park. No issue whatsoever. They just came in and got victory. Now, what I need you to keep in mind is that the vast majority of these Israelites that are in this situation have never fought before. They have no history of successfully battling anyone. They don't have any battle, any success, any success fighting anybody. They don't have any, any history of fighting anyone. What we saw is their parents did. Now, back they faced Esau's descendants, the Amalekites, just a few months after getting out of Egypt. And this was a situation, remember, where Aaron and Hur held up Moses' hands and they faced the Amalekites and they had this great victory. God delivered a victory. So their parents had experienced victory. They knew they could be successful in war. But, but this group, this group's not battle-tested. This group doesn't have any idea what's, what's coming. So their experience is not there. So Moses is bringing them to the borders of Canaan. And this would have been, their, again, their first real test. The text reveals to us that they were successful. They, they did exactly what God intended for them to. Recognize the fact that their parents, 38 to 39 years earlier, their parents had faced off against these same southern kingdoms at the border. Okay? So they had actually gone and they had, unfortunately for them, it didn't go so well. They were handily defeated by this, by this group. But what happens, we'll, we'll look at a quick excerpt from there. What this, to give you an idea of the preface of where we are. So this would be in Numbers chapter number 14. Numbers 14 is where we see the rebellion against God, right? This is where they brought them to the border and they said, listen, we can't do this. We're afraid. We're going to die. And they said, we're not going in. Now, if you go further down into Numbers 14, we get down to number 42, verses 42 through 45. What we're going to see is this is where Moses is going to tell us, he's recounting to us what happened right after that rebellion. The people of Israel decided they were going to do something. They said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take the land. Since we're not going to go in the promised land, let's at least take the land on this side of the Jordan. Okay? Moses speaking says this, Go not up, for the Lord is not among you. 
And that ye, it says, that ye be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you. Listen, they're waiting. And ye shall fall by the sword because you are turned away from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will not be with you. He says, listen, you guys just rebelled against God. The victory that we got back when we were in the, in the Exodus, guess what? It was because he was with us. He's not with us now. This is not his will. You're going against God's will, right? That's what he's warning them to. Listen, God's not in this. Verse 44, but they presumed to go up under the hilltop. Hey, listen, you know what? We're going to do it anyway. We're just going to do it anyway. Who's anybody, who's anybody in that situation? I probably shouldn't. Ah, I'll just do it. Let's just see what happens, right? This is what happened. They presumed to go up under the hill. Nevertheless, Notice this, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. They said, are you going to go? Guess what? We're going to wait here. Y'all go on and see how it works out. Let me know how it works out for you guys. Okay. Then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites, which dwelt in that hill and smote them and discomfited them even unto Hormah. So here we are, almost four decades earlier, their, their, their parents putting their faith in themselves not trusting in God, rebelling against God, now go, you know, we got this. We've won before. We've been battled. We've been battle-tested. We're successful. We got this. And they leave with their tails between their legs. So now, God has brought this, their offspring back to the same land, the same enemies, the same ones that humiliated their parents years before. And they would go on to conquer not only the same southern kingdom, but the whole wilderness territory that goes from the bottom all the way to the top of where Mount Hermon is thus revealing to them what God already knew about this group was that they were men of faith. They were willing to trust God and to not only trust God, but to follow God. They would take his leading and they would say, you know what, Lord, we'll do it. And so we see the Lord knew that they needed this experience of having their faith tested. He's preparing them for what's to come. Because when they cross the Jordan, I can tell you, there's a lot of obstacles that they're going to face. We've already gone through them. And do you realize the fact that, listen, this aspect of testing, this aspect of proving is something that God does in us on a regular basis. Our faith is tested. It's tried. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says this, My brethren, count it all joy. You know what this says? Be thankful. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Okay. Wow. Be thankful that you just fell into a big temptation. You fell into this challenge in your life. Verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Okay? Patience is a willingness to have faith in the midst of adversity. Okay? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Verse 4, but let patience, our faith in God in the midst of the test, have her perfect work that ye may be perfect. Perfect means mature and entire Wanting nothing. Right? God says, listen, the challenge is good for you. It strengthens you. It increases and strengthens your faith. James is pointing out the fact that, listen, if we're to become people of great faith, if we're to be people of great faith, that faith that we have must be tested. It must be tried. It must be battle-hardened. Real faith is developed through experiences of life, through real-life walking, Right? It's one thing to go to someone and someone tell you a lot of biblical principles that they've never applied. Now, they're all true, but it's a lot, has a lot more grounds in it when someone tells you, man, I have walked this road. I have traveled this path, and I leaned on God in the midst, and this is what He did. And then what happens? The testimony on top of the Word. Man, it lands. 
How can I give someone hope about their marriage because my marriage that was destroyed, God restored? So I can say from a grounds of experience. Our God's Word is true. But if we don't apply it, guess what? We can't have that testimony. So it comes down to this. You've got to go through trials. We've got to go through testing. Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 5, verses 1-4. through 4. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into, His, into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And here's where it gets it to it. Verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. We're thankful for the tests that come to our faith, knowing that the tribulation worketh patience. What did James just tell us? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Paul continues, and patience, experience, and experience hope. Listen, my faith, when it's tested, if I have the patience to hold on and say, listen, God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this. I don't understand, but I'm going to hold on. What's beautiful is when you realize the fact that God comes through, you get the experience Wow, you know what? God is faithful. He does come through. And you know what? Now, not only do I have hope for this situation, but when tribulation comes in the future, if I can look back on my life, I can realize it. Guess what? There's hope also on the other side of this because He's the same God. The same God with the same promise, with the same heart, with the same love, the same desire to see us grow. And so He uses adversity in our life to shape us, to change us, to prepare us for what we need for the future. And so we see that challenge. The Israelites would be able to cross the Jordan. They would be able to step by faith across that water. Because when, the, when their feet stepped, man, the water stood. And they crossed into the Jordan, across the Jordan. And they entered the promised land knowing that God would be with them. Because you know why? He'd already been with them. They'd already experienced it. This generation was learning through application of their faith to trust God. And you and I, as children of God, guess what? Every day we have opportunities to learn to test God, to test our faith, and we have opportunities to grow in our faith, to learn to trust God, to learn to walk with Him. Instead of trusting in ourselves, we see the example in their parents and how it failed. We look at it as an example of success with these guys. Listen, God's already done it. And as children of God, we've got to remember that the same faithfulness that God has revealed in other times in our life where we can fall back. We have markers in our life where I remember God did this, and I remember God did this, and I remember this shouldn't have happened for me. I should have died here, and this should have... And we forget those things many times, and God's saying, no, 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 no. Look back at my track record. Look at what I've done for you. Do not realize I've been here all these times, and guess what? I will be again. That's, that's the whole point. And so we see this summary of the Israelites' faith in God. What we'll see is the next five verses. They're going to supply us the details of how this, actually, how this actually played out. And the first challenge that came their way was a battle-hardened king and his army, uh, the king of Sahon, who confronted them at the border when they arrived. And this, again, this is where God is, is his promises are going to be tested in their faith as well as they will. Verse number two, they stood their ground when opposed. Now, number, verses two and three says this, Sahon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Heshbon, and ruled over a war, which is upon the bank of the river Arnon, and from the middle of the river, and from half Gilead, even unto the river Yabak, which is the border of the children of Ammon, and from the plain to the Sea of Chinneroth on the east, and of the Sea of the Plain, even the Salt Sea on the east, the way to Beth Shemash, and the, from the south under Ashdoth Bizga. Now, you can imagine when I'm reading that this week, I was like, okay, well, <laughs> we know where they are. 
That's all, you know, when you first read that, you're going, okay. I basically just have an idea of what's going on. Okay, so if we understand what they're just described for us, we heard about the, the river Yabak. The river Yabak is right here, okay? And here's Arnon, this is the other. So this is the border we're talking about, this land right here. This is where Sahon is. You said it said it's the, the border of the Ammonites, or Ammon. That's going to be up here. That's the other kingdom. But the break right here. So this is where we are. Here's the Dead Sea. This is the Jordan River. Okay? So now, what do we know about, about King, King Sahon? Well, we know that he was at Heshbon. That was the city that he worked out of. That was where his capital city was. He was a powerful ruler in the region. We find this out. Let's, again, this is Bible study. We say, listen, where else does he show up? Let's go learn about him. Let's go find out. We go to Numbers 21, verse 26. It says this, For Heshbon was the city of Sahon, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all his land out of his hands, even unto Arnon. So what it tells us is the fact that that territory that goes now down to, all the way down to Arnon, at one point in time, it did not go there. He is an aggressive king. He's literally battling against his countrymen to take property for himself. So there are stories that are out there about this adversarial, aggressive king, King Sahon. And so when the Israelites arrive at the border of the promised land, it's no surprise that he doesn't receive them with open arms. This is how things played out. Numbers 21 Moses records it for us, 21, verses 21 through 23. And Israel sent messengers under Sahon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through thy land. We will not turn into the fields nor into the vineyards. We will not drink of the waters of the well, but we will go along by the king's highway until we be past thy borders. Listen, they understand this is not their promised land. God didn't give this to them. So what they're doing is they're coming through here trying to make peace. That's what they're trying to accomplish here. Listen, we don't want any trouble. We're just passing through. That's it. Listen, this, as Christians, this should be our attitude. We should be peacemakers. We should not be out there adversarial trying to start fights. Romans 12 verse 18 says this, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, notice what it says, live peaceably with all men. With all men. As much as lieth in you, if it be possible, if it's possible, man, we need to be peaceful. So we're not the ones out there looking for trouble. We're not the ones out there with a chip on our shoulder ready to rock at any moment. You know people like that? Just give them a reason, man. They're just like primed and ready to fire. <laughs> right? That's not who we're to be. We're supposed to have a peaceful, a meek spirit, right? What's meekness? Meekness is strength under control. That's power that is under control. Jesus Christ described himself as meek and lowly in heart. Jesus is not weak. He is power under control. That's who we're supposed to be. So what happens? Then we see uh, Jesus mentions this in Matthew 5, 9. This is at the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. As Jesus preaches to this Jewish audience, he's simply telling them, hey, listen, this is who you should be. Paul's telling us that this exactly the same principle that we're supposed to apply to our lives. Listen, but unfortunately, peace is not always an option. Sometimes there are situations where it just isn't going to work out. Because there are people in this world, can I just tell you, that are dead set on opposing. Opposing us as children of God, but who want to oppose God's word, who wants to oppose God's will. So the Israelites, they tried to come in peace, but unfortunately, Sahon's not having it. Verse 23. And Sahon would not suffer Israel to pass through his border, but Sahon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel into the wilderness, and he came to Yahaz and fought against Israel. Keep in mind, okay, 
when we're picturing what's going on, how does this apply to us, instead of just being a historical record of what's taking place in Joshua's life, or in Moses' life, and in the Israelites' life, is recognizing the fact that the picture for us, the Israelites, are a picture of the individual believer. Okay? So we are to picture ourselves in this adventure that they're going through. And the wilderness, the wilderness is our Christian life. It is a place of challenges. It is a place of preparation. God's trying to get us someplace else. He's trying to get us out of the wilderness and into the promised land. So in this process, Paul tells us, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So in our Christian life, if we walk through this life, that's our job. We're supposed to try to live peaceably with all men. Living in peace. Now, notice this. It says all men. That's not just the lost world, but it's also the saved world. There are adversities between believers. There are strife maybe taking place tonight, today, whatever time it is, this morning. <laughs> there may be strife in our own homes, right? But the Bible's telling us, listen, we're supposed to live peaceably, right? But there are instances, unfortunately, where peace is not an option. And in those instances where God is being opposed, listen, we are to stand our ground for the Lord and we stand our ground for His Word, okay? Always the case. When Jesus went into His Father's house and He was in the temple and He saw His house turn into a, a, a place where the priests who had controlled all of this, they were learning and they turned it into a money-making venture. Right? They're changing money. What would happen is that people would bring in their, their lambs and their sheep. And you know what they would do? They would assess them for their value. And they would say, okay, let me see that one. Okay, now they're perfectly fine sheep, but they go, no, that's not going to work. You'll need to buy one of ours. They would lie. It was remarkable. So it had been turned into a business for them. And so when Jesus walks into that and sees what it has turned into, this is his reaction. John 2, verses 13 through 16. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up into Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he made himself litter, a whip. He drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And he saith unto them that sold the doves, they're standing there, they had their doves in their cages, take these things hence. Listen, don't make this place. This is not a business for you. This is my father's house. Make not my father's house and a house of merchandise. So Jesus stood against wickedness. He stood his ground. And he sent a loud message to all those that would suffer him or, or would oppose righteousness. And so is Moses. This is what Moses is doing. In Israel, verse number 24, Israel smote him with the edge of the sword. Remember, it's a spiritual picture for us. What's our sword? The word of God, right? We're going to stand our ground. Guess what we stand on? The Word. This is where we stand. This is our weapon. And Israel smote them with the edge of the sword and possessed his land from Arnon to Yabak, even to the children of Ammon. For the border of the children of Ammon was strong. That's talking about Og. We're going to get to them. And Israel took all these cities. And Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites and Heshbon in all the villages thereof. For Heshbon was the city of Sahon, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and taken all his land out of his hand, even unto Arnon. I want you to recognize this is no small victory. These guys are a formidable force. Sahon and his army were powerful. There were stories in the region talking about his strength. Verse uh, 27 says this, Wherefore they that speak in Proverbs, the stories that are being told, come into Heshbon, let the city of Sahon be built and prepared. For there is a fire gone out of Heshbon, a flame from the city of Sahon. It hath consumed Ar of Moab and the lords of the high places of Arnon. Listen, Moab, the, 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 uh, Sahon is spreading powerful. Woe to thee, Moab! Thou art undone, O people of Chinoth. 
of Chemosh. He hath given his sons and escaped his daughters into captivity unto Sahon, king of the Amorites. Listen, he has done great damage and devastation. He's gathered, gathered land. Here we go. Now it's going to shift. We have shot at them. Heshbon has perished even unto Debon. And we have laid them waste even unto Naphtah, uh, which reached uh, unto uh, Medeba. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. So that story has changed. The Sahon has been conquered. And so because of Sahon's decision to come against Israel, to come against them in this offensive, standing in, in the way of God's will being accomplished, which is them getting to the promised land, he and all of his people, they're destroyed through the power of God. And so understand, in order for us to enter our spiritual promised land, can I tell you that in our walk with God, we will face opposition. If we are truly walking with God, we will face opposition. What do we hear in 2 Timothy 3.12? He says this, And yea, and all that will live godly, all those that will seek to live a life that's peaceable, that's kind, that's gracious, that's loving, all those that will do that in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Okay? Be it situations or people, our faith is going to be tested. It is absolutely going to be tested. It's important for us to understand to get the victories in these external battles. It's very key because understand these things are to take place, these external battles outside of the promised land because there are internal battles yet to come. Okay, Remember, there's a picture here, external and internal, outside of the promised land and in the promised land. And so we see this understanding the fact that you and I, the challenges that will be in the promised land will be much greater than those that are the external challenges. External threats are always easier. They're always easier to overcome. Because guess what? We can recognize them. We can see them more clearly, right? If, if we were to put, make it about us, right? If we were making it about us, and, and let's say it's an external threat. Someone says, you know what? Salvation is through works. Salvation is through baptism. Salvation is through membership in the church. That's an external, easy thing for us to overcome. Say, no, 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 that's easy to see. I can stand on the Word of God. I can prove to you that's not right. I can show you that's not right. That's a good external. I can easily see that. But what about bitterness? Bitterness that's been in us for since we were a child, right? Something deep-seated from something that someone did to us, and we still carry it today. What if it's envy? We find ourselves scrolling online and looking at the lives of others saying, why isn't it me? You see, these things are much more subtle and they're much harder to defeat. They're insidious. See, they're on the inside. And so easy, so many times we need to learn how to deal with the external ones, the easy ones first, so that we can get and learn how to deal with the internal ones. These promised land battles will be tougher than any of these. And so these early external victories are important in setting the stage for future victories yet to come. Next week we're going to be getting into those victories as we go into to Joshua's story. And so as a result of the southern kingdom's adversarial response and the calamity that has befallen them, now the kingdom to the north has heard what's going on. And they are going to respond. They rear their ugly heads and they come against Israel as, as well. As we see here, they remained, the Israelites remained courageous when outmatched. Verse number 4 and 5 says this, And the coast of Og, king of, of, of Bashan, which was of the remnant of the giants, that dwelt at Ashtaroth and Edri, and reigned in Mount Hermon, and a Salka, and then a Balshan, under the border of the Geshurites and the Mashathites, 
and half Gilead, the border of Sahon, king of, of Heshbon. We go back to our, to our map. We just heard it's the border. It's borders with Sahon. So this is Yabak right here. So this goes all the way up here to Mount Hermon. This is all Og or, or Bashan territory. This is where King Og is ruling. So what we find out is the fact that, it's, interestingly enough, where uh, Sahon was a standard adversary to deal with, there's a little bit of a different component with the king of Bashan, with Og. The Bible says he's of the remnant of the giants. Now, we don't know if he's the only giant. There may have been some others there, but we know he's a giant. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 3, actually what happens, Moses tells us how big his bed is, just to give us an idea how big he is. All right, it says here, Deuteronomy 3, verse 11, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of giants. Behold, his bedstead was a bedstead of iron. He had an iron bed, is not in Rabbath, of the children of Ammon. Nine cubits was the length thereof, and four cubits the breadth of it, after the cubit of a man. And when you calculate his bed, it turns out to be 13 and a half feet tall and six feet wide. King size, to say the least, right? <laughs> Literally, pun intended, King Og. Um, but the scripture tells us not only was he a big dude, but he also, he had 60 fortified cities that he was over, okay? So this is no, no small task. So not only is he a giant man, but man, they are, their kingdom is a giant threat to the Israelites. But what the Bible records for us is that the Israelites do not miss a beat. They roll right through them. It's recorded for us in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Then we turned and went up the way to Bashan, and the king and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edri. Notice this, verse number 2. And the Lord said unto me, Fear him not. For I will deliver him and all his people and his land into thy hand, and thou shalt do unto him as thou didst unto Sahon, king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Heshbon. That was your first introduction to battle, and look what happened. I brought the victory. Okay? So the Lord our God delivered into our hands Og also, the king of Bashan, and all his people, and we smote him until none was left, none left, none was left to him remaining. And so in the first battle against Sahon, what had happened? God responded. They didn't go in there with that. Remember, they were going for peace. God responded because they were under attack and God delivered them. He took care of them through that. He brought the victory. But here, before they get there, God reassures them of the victory. He prepares them before they even get there. He says, fear him not, for I will deliver him and all his people and his land into thy hand, and thou shalt do unto him as thou didst unto, king, unto Sahon, king of the Amorites, which dwelt at Heshbon. So what happened last time is going to happen again. Prepare yourself for victory. So there's a pattern of reassurance. And what you notice when we studied the book of Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, well, by the time we get to verse number 4, guess what God's doing? He's reassuring them. He tells them, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. And we see this pattern of reassurance where God comes in and prepares them for the battle when he's going to send them where he's going to send them. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. He's reassuring them. Just put all your faith in me and I will deliver the victory. Amen. Put all your faith in me and I will, bring, I will deliver the victory. And see, this is a concept. This is something that if we could all just learn, <laughs> could we just learn that one lesson? And then when life comes at us with whatever challenge it's going to bring, because I can promise you, life is going to have challenges. That is just a part of being alive. And when they come against us, be they standard run-of-the-mill issues or challenges, man, or, or giant ones, 
Look, they are no match for God. They are no match for God at all. And what happens is we get overwhelmed by what we see instead of trusting trusting the Lord. And the sooner we accept that truth, that God, no, there is no match against Him, the sooner we can not only enter our promised land where we'll experience God's indescribable peace, but also live lives that actually have peace in them every single day. Right? We press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's our desire. Right? We're, we're focused on trying to get to the promised land. And God's saying, hey, listen, while you're on the way, I'm going to prepare you through adversity. There's going to be challenges that are going to come. But guess what? Trust me, I'll get you through them. I'm building your faith. I'm developing you. I'm strengthening you. And so there are things that are going to come that are challenging. You know, in discipleship, I always use this example about a, uh, about a marble block. I remember reading an article, and I don't know if this actually happened, but Michelangelo, supposedly some reporter was like, so Michelangelo, when you were in the David, ah, what was the process? And he was like, well, you know what? I just removed all the things that weren't David. So David was in the stone. I just had to get all the things that weren't David out of the way. And what you understand is as a child of God, with this Holy Spirit of God living within us, there is an image of Christ inside of us, right? Unfortunately, we're a big old block of rock. And it's easy to be a block of rock. It doesn't take any work. You just blah, right? But then there's some things that have got to come along in our life that have got to start chiseling away the stuff that's us. Because the only way to get down to the Christ is to get David out of the way. And so there are adversities. There are challenges that are going to come. Some are going to be, man, they're going to be chisels. Others are going to be jackhammers. Some are explosives. Some of them are just sandpaper. People in your life where you're just like, so irritating. But guess what? When you learn to give them grace, guess who you look a little bit more like? Right? The whole goal is to reveal the Christ in us. And you see, that's what God's doing here. He's preparing them to be men of faith. So when adversity comes, they'll know how to stand because they haven't experienced it yet. And if they went in with no experience, guess what? They would have failed because they wouldn't have known how to walk with God. And understand, so this process of developing them is so important. There will always be adversities. There are always going to be challenges, internal and external. That's just a part of this experience of being alive. But recognize the fact that, listen, God wants us to learn that we can trust Him to fight our battles for us instead of leaning on our own understanding. Because can I tell you, the promised land is where God wants to get us, but some of us are not ready to get in there yet. Some of us aren't ready for the challenges that are deep down inside that we need to deal with in our own hearts because we can't even deal with the adversities in our life that are easy to see. We're overwhelmed by simple things and the complicated stuff, the things that are really difficult. Man, we're just too afraid to even look. Some of us have issues in our hearts that we've been carried around for years and years and years and years and years and years and we've ignored them for so long that we like to pretend they're not even there. But then one instance... One thing we see, one thing we hear, something that's said by someone can bring it to the surface and suddenly that thing, we're like, whoa, I forgot. It's still there. God wants to bring victory. Because with those things in our hearts, guess what we can't have? Peace. We can't experience the promised land. But even though they have this experience, even though they've gone through the testing ground that they have, and even though they've been successful, can I tell you, they're not all, it's not completely successful. Because what we see, the last point is this. They still struggled to trust God. They still trust, struggled, struggled to trust God. Verse number 6. And Moses, a servant of the Lord, gave it for a possession unto the Reubenites and the Gadites 
and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, this is super important, okay? Now, if we read this, we go, wow, that's great. They got some new land. That's awesome. Now, what we need to do is actually go back to the original promise, okay? Abraham made a promise, or God made a promise to Abraham and his seed 650 years earlier. And he made that promise. It's in Genesis chapter 17, verse 8. He says, And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Okay? I'm giving you Canaan. Now let's look at our map. Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, guess what they got? This land. Can I tell you something? That's not Canaan. That's Canaan. So they said, we don't. We're good. Though God said, this is what I prepared for you. I promised it to you. I preserved it for you. It's for you. It's for the children of Israel. And yet we see here that that's not where they end up. They're on the, on the other side of the Jordan. These Israelites, the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, looked across the land that they had just conquered. They looked across it and they said, man... <laughs> this looks good. Dude, check it out, man. Look at the plains and the trees. Man, look at those bushes over there. They're beautiful, man. I can see my house over there. Put a little porch over there. Hot tub on that corner over there. Man, we're rolling. This be awesome. This looks good. Right? That's what they do. They look all around and they take what they see, though God didn't give it to them, and they said, you know what? This looks good. I think we would like to just settle here, disregarding the fact that it wasn't what God had for them disregarding that for 650 years God had preserved and protected this specific land to give it to them. They're trusting their plans for themselves instead of trusting God. Numbers 32, we get here, this is how it all went down. Moses records it for us. All based upon what they saw. Numbers 32, verse 1. Now, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great number, great multitude of cattle. And when they saw the land of Azir and the land of Gilead, that behold, the place was a place for cattle. Oh, man, you see this? Look at this grazing land. Even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle. And look at this revelation. And thy servants have cattle. That looks like last week a land for, for, for cattle. Turns out, guess what? We got cattle, man. Wherefore, said they, because of that, if we have found grace in thy sight. Notice that wording. In thy sight. Talking to Moses. Not talking to God. If we found grace in thy sight, Moses, right? Let this land be given unto thy servants for a possession. And notice this last part. This is the heartbreaking part. Bring us not over Jordan. God has this for you. I don't want it. I know better. I can just look, this is way better for us. This is, this is what we need. And so this is also a test of faith. Right? This isn't a physical one. This is an emotional one. This is a spiritual one. Will you trust God? Will you trust what He has prepared for you? Unfortunately, Moses and these three, they, they failed. They failed. In order to make them happy, in order to meet the request that they had, Moses concedes. He negotiates with them a way that they'll still go to battle and He'll give them what they want. And you know what? Scripture clearly reveals to us that God's not in it. 
because never is it recorded that God gave them the land. Numbers 32-33, and Moses gave unto them. Numbers 32-40, Moses gave Gilead. Joshua 1-14, Moses gave you on this side, Jordan. Joshua 1-15, Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you. Joshua 12-6, we just read, and Moses, a servant of the Lord, gave it. Moses, 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 right? Moses fails too. And guess who also doesn't get into the promised land? Moses, right? Tests of faith. They're going to come in every form and fashion. Moses made provision to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Specifically, the lust of the eyes. We know what's best for us. And what does God tell us about making provisions for our flesh? On a spiritual level, right? Romans 13, 14. And put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, get into the promised land. That's my desire for you. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Moses is a picture of making provision for the flesh. Compromising. I know the will of God. And yet to make my brother happy. We'll just switch things up. If that's what you want, if that's what will get you to do what we want to do, I'll concede. How sad. What does God want for us? He wants us to take our eyes off of the wilderness and set them on the promised land. To not try to find satisfaction in this world, but to find a set of satisfaction with Him. Right? What do we hear in Colossians 3.2? Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Okay? Simple and clear. Don't get caught up in the temporal world. Set your affections on the eternal world, that one to come, the one that really matters. And as we'll see in our study, as we go through this Joshua study, and as we see as as Reuben and, and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh, when they get what they want, you know what inevitably it does? Causes division. Causes confusion. And what God intended for them was for them to be in one unified place. That they would function as a family. That they would function as one. And because of their flesh, they said, you know what? We're good. We'll leave the division in place. The Jordan is the dividing line. And we choose east of the Jordan. And there are a lot of people in this world. That's their decision. I know what God has for me. If I would just surrender, man, God could do something great in my life. And they live with the strife of going, you know what? I'm going to settle on this side of the Jordan. And you know when their life's full of turmoil and they don't understand? And they go, why won't God bring peace? Why won't God bring me? Why, 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 why? Why do I have to struggle with life? Why isn't things easy like it is for everybody else? Why do I have to deal with adversity? And God's saying, hey, guess what? So many times we're settled on the wrong side of the Jordan. We planted our, planted our flag. In the wilderness, and we're trying to find satisfaction. God says, this is not what I have for you. I gave you that. Don't settle. Don't settle. And so we see these, these tests of faith, of faith, where they succeeded and where they failed. And it stinks, but you know what? They're all a part of the process. Some of the tests that are going to come our way, we're going to pass, man. We're going to do great. And others, man, we're just going to... We're going to blow it. 
the question is this, will we learn from our mistakes? Will we grow and go forward? Do we take what we, what we experience and we allow it to shape our faith? Listen, these challenges are, all, are, all, are absolutely essential in preparing the Israelites for what was to come. It was absolutely key for them. And so are our struggles. The challenges that life bring at us, they are essential. God works all things together for good for those that love God that are called according to His purpose. Those things you don't like, if you learn to embrace them and allow God to teach you through them, you'll become better. Those people in your life that are difficult and frustrating and you're just like, man, I just wish I could get away from them. What if you learn how to love your enemy, as the Bible says? What if you learn how to give grace to someone who does not deserve it, which is what grace is, offering something that's undeserved? And what if the, 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 the chisel in your life, what if the jackhammer in your life, what if that person in your life who's a stick of dynamite, what if you allow that, your ability to, to care for them, to knock off this chunk of you that's been in the way all this time? What if you just let it fall? Some of us are in relationships with people, man. They're frustrating. But buddy, can I tell you, when you learn to love them like Christ, what's amazing is not only the impact you'll have on them, but what it'll do to you. Right? Because you know what forgiveness does? It sets us free. Many people walk around with hatred in their heart. They'll carry it for years, decades, almost their whole life. There's many people that die with hatred in their hearts. They're in a prison of their own creating, chaining themselves to a wall while the door is wide open. And they stay in there in bitterness and hatred, trying to spit at someone else and hurt that person with their hatred. And the hatred is poisoning them. That unforgiveness is a poison that you drink to kill someone else, and it is killing you. Man, can I just beg you, if you've got an issue like that, cast your care upon me, for I care for you, God says. Recognize the fact that none of us deserve to be forgiven. Not a one. And yet Jesus Christ, looking at the, the world that hated him, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgiveness. Love. If we'll let go of these issues of life, the trials that we come through, and if we allow them to shape us, we'll be a little bit more like him. That's the desire. Will we pass the tests that life throws at us and trust God? I can promise you they're going to come in every form and fashion you can possibly imagine. The devil's very creative when challenges come. And you know what? Lots of times God just goes, okay, bring it. Let's see how they deal with it. Just like the Israelites, the adversities that are going to come into our lives, they have a purpose. If we'll allow them, right, to shape us, they give us an opportunity to, put, to develop our faith and to come to grips with the reality of the value of trials. The value of trials. If we can embrace it, God will make us better. If we don't embrace it, we live in misery and frustration. Glory, the Bible says, Paul said, I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Boy, how many of us would like to have the power of Christ resting upon us? And the way to it? Glory in my infirmities. Be thankful for the adversities, the value 
trials. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the truth you've revealed to us through, uh, through Bible study, through this scripture, through your word. Uh, Lord, it's so rich, it's so deep, it's so beautiful. Thank you. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for uh, those joining us online, those watching this recorded. Lord, that you do a work in our hearts and in our lives. God, would you rest your hand upon each one? You know the issues they're struggling with. You know the trials, the tests that they're facing. Oh, God, would you make yourself so evident? Would you comfort their hearts? Would you guide their steps? Would you lift my brothers and sisters up that it feel like as if they're going to fall? Oh, Lord, would you carry them when they feel like they can't stand? Father, thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for having a purpose and a plan for the things that are that are good and the things that are that are challenging. Thank you for each one that's here. I pray, Father, that you'll do a work in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be shaped, to be a little bit more in the image of you. God, thank you for what you've done today. Thank you, Lord, for what you will do. Now, with our heads bowed and eyes still closed, look, if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know where I exactly stand with God. Can I tell you that 21 years ago, I'd never been in church. I didn't know anything about the Lord. I was ignorant. And someone asked me a question. They said, if you died today, if this is your last day on earth, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And honestly, I just, I said, I hope so. I did not know. Well, the wonderful thing is that God made a way through a cross. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus Christ offered a way for any and all who would believe to come to saving grace, to receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. It's by faith and faith alone. The Bible says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't earn our way to heaven. We don't join a church and become a part and, get, and go to heaven. No, it is through faith and faith alone. Faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you have never done that, you might believe in God, but can I tell you, the devil believes in God. He ain't going to heaven. You might even know the Bible, but can I promise you that the devil's they know the Bible as well. It's not about knowledge of God. It's not about just believing He exists. It's surrendering our heart to Him, accepting the free gift of salvation from the cross. If you've never done that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today, to receive that gift. Again, it won't take any work from us. It's nothing more than receiving it. It's a choice. A gift is offered. It costs the giver, but it's free to the one that receives it. The free gift of salvation is offered to all of us. And to receive it, it's nothing more than surrendering our hearts to His. And we do that through prayer. I'm going to lead you in prayer. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sin. I understand that it separated me from you, that I'm, I'm in desperate need of salvation. With all my heart, I'm asking you right now to come into my life to come into my heart and to save my soul. Lord, I want to live for you. Would you guide my steps as I move forward? Help me live this life for your glory. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.